Ocean. A1 Custom Car Care. All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Miss Sarah, how is the world treating you? <sighs> I don't know about you, but I am ready for spring. I know. I am right there with you. I'm tired of it. I enjoy the snow. I enjoy the winter weather. But this year, I'm just not feeling it as much as I normally do. You know <laughs> what it is, is you're getting older. Yeah, I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're, you're like, right. I don't want to drive in this. I got kids. Yeah, I got stuff to do. I got to be right? going to basketball games right now and mm-hmm. doing all the, the winter sporting events, I suppose. I, something, and this is way off topic, has nothing to do with cars, but I'm going to ask anyway. Did you ever get into archery? Did they have archery when you were in school? They did not. So, Marionville, and I know a bunch of other schools have got it out there. That is the coolest, like, uh, school curricular event, I guess. I really enjoyed. I wish they would have had it when I was in school. Do, do your kids participate? So, Jonas has in the past. He's, he's uh, about 14 now. Basketball is his love now. But uh, I've been at the practices and some of his games that I could make it to. And I see all the archery kids. And, and Jonas and I had done that a couple of years ago where he went and we got him a bow and all the stuff. It was really cool. I enjoyed it a bunch. That's but neat. I kind of thought so. I, I enjoy the fact that the schools are, you know, venturing out into some different uh, curriculars, I guess, because not every kid wants to be basketball or football or whatever. That's right. Whenever I was in high school, we had just recently got a soccer team. Oh, wow. Yeah, when I was a freshman. Okay. And then we got a fish team and a golf team. I would have so done the fishing team. Me too. I love fishing. I also love fishing and I, I'm pretty good at it. I, you know, I would say I'm okay, but I have to admit I have been slacking big time the last couple of years. I just haven't made any time, which is a horrible excuse. I know. I, I've been the same way. Yeah. It's just one of those deals. We did our, I think our last show and I don't, I didn't really intend on it, but we talked a lot about, or maybe a little bit about skilled trades. Mm-hmm. And it continues, and and tell me if you're noticing any difference, Sarah. It continues to, not just automotive related, I'm talking about skilled trades regardless of what it is. I continue to see this deficit opening and opening and opening to where, you know, back in the day, like if you didn't read well or you didn't, you know, do good math and history, you got a trades education. You know, that was kind of like your punishment. You're going to, you know, you're going to work hard labor which, you know, I prefer, actually, honestly. But now there's this deficit of skilled hands and, and you know, experienced minds. And all those baby boomers that have been the backbone of those trades for decades at this point, honestly, probably longer than they really intended on, they're just not out there. Are you seeing anything like that at all? Absolutely. And I think that it kind of started with my generation. Okay. We were taught basically in high school that you need to go get a four-year degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was okay if you didn't know what you wanted to do. You could study general studies or you could always pick a degree later on. Sure. And they kind of pushed away from those trade skills. And they almost like painted them as a in a bad light at least when i was right. you know going through my vocational training well and i've mentioned it many times before i was never given that opportunity to have my parents pay for college mm-hmm. and i think i'm grateful for that yeah. actually because i've worked my tail off mm-hmm. to pay off my student loans and uh, i feel like i've really made sure that the education that i picked is mm-hmm. education that i wanted mm-hmm. and so i went to votech and i studied also with the a plus program 
And which is an awesome. Yes. And so I went to OTC for two years in my high school career. I went Mm -hmm. my junior and my senior year Mm -hmm. and people kind of made fun of the the Votax students. But here's the deal. I graduated with my associate's degree like three months after I graduated from high school. And I immediately started working in my field of study. That's fantastic. So that's how whenever I tell people I've been working in radio for eight, almost nine years Mm -hmm. now, they're like, how is that possible? Well, I started immediately. uh, I was 17. Wow. Yeah. That's so it's awesome that you is it safe to say you knew what you wanted to be when you grew up? Is so that a, a safe question. Well, since I knew that my parents weren't going to be able to mm-hmm. help me, you know, pay for my college. I knew early on that I need to make sure that whatever I pick, it's something that I enjoy Mm -hmm. and that I'm going to be willing to pay thousands of dollars for. And so that's why I went to Votech was because I enjoyed media. Mm -hmm. I I used to make these little like home videos and (laughs) just different things like that. I enjoyed doing it. It was fun. And uh, OTC, they offered an electronic media production course. Mm. And that's what they offered uh, for Votech students. And I thought, you know, it's TV, it's radio, it's... It's audio engineering. It's photography. That all sounds really, really fun. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to see, is this a hobby or is this Uh a career? Because, you know, sometimes people get those two things mistaken. They think, oh, I really enjoy this as a hobby. Can I make a career? And oftentimes they get burnt out on that item. And it ruins their hobby. And then they don't want to do it anymore. So I wanted to make sure, is it a hobby or a career? And I found out really quickly that uh, I enjoy doing this. And it's a little bit of both now. Have you, you know, I think it's safe to say you still have fun. Yes. You know, you enjoy it. And and thankfully, I can say the same as well. I knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, uh, made the decisions to go that route. There was many ways to get here, honestly. But, you know, sometimes you just got to get up and start moving and see what doors open. So I took a two-year vocational school down in Monette. They had the Southwest Area Career Center. Fantastic education down there. I have taken some automotive and diesel classes here in Springfield at OTC. They have an amazing automotive and and diesel department along with welding and I believe they probably have construction trades, I would assume. Do you know that offhand, Sarah? They do. And actually, fun fact about OTC, at least when I was going, Mm -hmm. they had like the highest percentage of non-traditional students Ah. in that role. So you're talking like adult students then? uh, Well, both uh, like high school and regular college and adults as well. But they had the highest of like minorities in that trade. Ah, But then also like demographic wise, they had like the highest uh, like female in the male industry. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I don't care what industry you're in. We need good help. Yeah. I mean, just as simple as I could say that. If I have to sublet work out, and we reach, recently uh, had some plumbing issues with one of our shops, and finding you know the person to be able to do that, and that they show up, they do what they said they're going to do, they do good work, you know, the shoes on the other foot. A lot of times, that's what people are looking to us for when they have automotive issues, and we take it super duper seriously. So when I have to be on the other side of that coin and 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 hire a skilled labor, it's I don't want to say I'm picky on it, but I expect there's a certain standard, and very seldom do I find that standard. It's almost like it's a, I don't want to say it's a letdown 90% of the time, but it's definitely a bright spot when you find somebody that can truly deliver on what it is they say. 
And even if they're charging a little bit more, if they will do a good job, it is absolutely worth it. Because every time I skimp, you know, the buy once, cry once kind of thing that, you know, hey, if I don't, you know, belly up to the bar here and uh, put my big boy boots on and say, okay, this is the, the work that we need versus, oh, let's just patch it up. I regret it every single time I take the easier way out or the easier decision because every time it shows me that the value of skilled labor is extremely important. And we're in a skilled labor field. I am a product essentially of the outlook of this company that invested in a young person almost, I guess, uh, probably close to 18 years ago, give or take a little bit, that they, and and we had this discussion, which is kind of what prompted this thought process, uh, I think at the end of last week, that the reason they were interviewing and looking for somebody is that they had an aging workforce that the skill set was going to leave the industry if they didn't start training and passing that on to other folks. So my first year with A1 Custom Car Care was moving from master exhaust technician to master exhaust technician and learning what to do and sometimes what not to do. You know, not everyone does everything just, you know, above board, if you will. And as a young apprentice at that point in time, I needed to pay very close attention to the caliber of technician that I wanted to be. And that really gave me a leg up and accelerated that process that I was able to learn from multiple people that were at the top of their skill set in class. And custom fabrication is not typically something you're going to learn from, you know, a textbook of how to do that. And when we build custom exhaust systems, a lot of it is creation. You know, there is math and geometry that go along with all that. And, you know, being able to do a good quality exhaust system and how it works and how it should work, as well as how it shouldn't work as well. The biggest part of my apprenticeship, honestly, was doing um, jobs that had been done, sent out, and then for whatever reason had an issue and were brought back to the shop for us to to, to repair or do a redo uh, repair fix on those. So I got to learn very quickly, hey, you know, this doesn't work. So how do we replace whatever this process is? And make it better so we don't have those vehicles returning to the shop that need further repair or, you know, redesigned repair. I had one here just the other day, another shop, it wasn't an A1 custom shop, had done some exhaust on a beautiful 69 Camaro. And I mean, this thing was slick, black, red interior, full restoration. They had built the exhaust pipes to go out the rear, that vehicle I don't believe came with dual exhaust on this particular model. And they had put dual exhaust and done a lot of upgrades, had a great powertrain in it. But whoever bent the tailpipe on the left side bent it where the shock absorber should have been installed, and it wasn't installed when they did the exhaust. So it took quite a bit, and I have two young exhaust technicians that I'm teaching, so I had them right next to me. We went through the process. And to see those gentlemen start to really um, start to do or spread their wings, if you will, and do some of these repairs on their own and pass those skills, not only like they were passed to me, but down to somebody else that, you know, hopefully will get 20, 30, 40 years out of that skill set is really an awesome, awesome deal. So if you're not in a trade, I encourage you to think about it. If you are in a trade, start thinking about how we introduce 
more people to those skill sets so they don't fade away. We do need to step into a break. We'll be right back after this. Through complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back, Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Kind of hammering down that uh, we need some skilled folks out there. But Sarah's got some articles over here. What do you got, Sarah? So we've talked about this before in the past, about Kia and Hyundai and about the thefts. I I hate to even bring this up, but it's out there. And so if you're a bad person, you probably already know it before I did. Sarah, have you seen the videos going around TikTok about how to steal a Kia and Hyundai? I have, and that has really kind of shot us into all of these different articles about what do we do about this theft. And I know that we've talked about it in the past, mm-hmm. but that's actually the the story that I have oh, here okay. for you is major insurance plans. They plan to drop two car model coverage oh, due to theft. Holy cow. So at least two major automotive insurers are refusing to protect certain Kia and Hyundai models because they lack anti-theft common Mm -hmm. in today's cars. Both State Farm and Progressive confirmed that they no longer write policies for some Kia and Hyundai models manufactured between 2015 and 2019. So the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, or the IHHS, They have uh, done a report on it, and the report notes that uh, the Hyundai and Kia vehicles being stolen lack electronic mobilizers that can hinder a theft's ability to steal or a thief's ability to steal a car from just breaking into their car and bypassing the ignition. Mm -hmm. Once a mobile immobile. Immo- say it for me. Immobilizers. Thank you. <laughs> Immobilizers were added to the cars. Uh, the vehicle thefts of Kias and Hyundais had plunged. The report also notes that immobilizers were standard in 26% of mm-hmm. Kia and Hyundai vehicle models in 2015, but standard in 96% of all other manufacturers. Yeah. Now, in some areas, Progressive said that they are increasing rates and limiting the sale of new insurance policies for those who have Kias and Hyundais that fit within that slot of vehicles that are at a substantial risk. Now, Kia and Hyundai vehicle thefts are up as much as 300% over the past two years in some cities, and they reference a lot of those TikTok videos that are Mm -hmm. being posted on social media of people showing how to start the vehicle without keys. That's so, unreal. What do you think about that? Well, State Farm and Progressive, I think maybe yes. that's the other one. Those are huge insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So they're going to set the bar, and I'm assuming some of the smaller ones are going to follow suit. Yes. And as I'm sitting here thinking, we have two uh, young adults that are drivers in the house, and one just went off to college. And they both actually, one has a Hyundai and one has a Kia. And yeah. as I'm sitting here thinking, we've talked about this many times. I'm going to have to put some device controls in place so they have a kill switch or some kind of a deterrent, if you will, because they're going to both be essentially at college or school events or whatever, yeah. which is probably prime target area. The fact that the the insurance companies are denying coverage is unreal. I just am, I'm blows my mind that that's such a big rampant. But you and I have been talking about this for months at this point. Mm-hmm. And I am going to, that's some steps I guess I'm going to take in fighting that off since this directly affects our household. That, hey, the other part of that is most of you out there, your keys are a, uh, 
they have a transponder in them that send out a frequency, and that's that immobilizer they're talking about. So if you have a Hyundai or Kia and you have a garage, I would definitely keep it in the garage. would probably be my number one recommendation. After that, if you have a uh, ability to put some kind of a theft deterrent system on there, whether it's a hidden kill switch, um, you need to know what you're doing. I don't just recommend you, you know, wing it and try and figure out how to, um, you know, impede somebody from stealing your vehicle. Obviously, keep the doors locked, but that, you know, old man once told me that the the only function of a lock is to keep an honest person honest, and I always found that to be very true, unfortunately. Uh, be wary of where you're parking your vehicle at. You know, don't be leaving it, you know, in a parking garage or somewhere that is poorly lit for days on end. Thieves do watch and they are going to see whether you're moving the vehicle, using the vehicle. Um, I've had different folks, you know, unhook the battery. I don't really recommend that on later model vehicles. Um, they depend on a steady state of voltage. So unhooking the battery would not be my first go-to. I'm sure there's some products out there. I know the the buy here, pay here car market has done stuff with little codes um, for years. I'm sure, you know, but even a, an educated thief would be able to bypass that. My go-to is going to be to figure out some kind of hidden kill switch for, for our kids to make sure that their cars hopefully don't get absconded by some riffraff or trash because the video of how that's done is very damaging to the car. So even if you recover the car, you're going to have a lot of damage to be repaired. And unfortunately, as bad as I hate to say it, you know, shops can't do that for free. The parts aren't free, the time and the labor to do it. It's, uh, it's a shame, honestly, that this is the world that we live in. I have seen a rise back for the club. Do you remember the old infomercial for the club? Yes, and I believe, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, mm-hmm. if Kia and Hyundai has done a recall. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they have. I have not heard of one. But I do believe that if you reach out to them, mm-hmm. that is something that they will provide for drivers. Oh, really? Instead Some of actually, deterrence. Yeah, stuff. instead of actually adding in a mobilizer, mm-hmm. that is something that they will, they will give to you. Okay, that's a very, very good thought um just be proactive i guess is the biggest thing you know when when you you don't make yourself an easy target i guess would be my biggest keep your head up keep walking around choose your parking places um with intent you know if you could park all the way in the back where nobody can see you and the lighting's real bad but it's a convenient place you might leave that open for somebody else and find you someplace close to the entrance close to the exit close to security systems and cameras, but even if they catch the, the perpetrator on camera, it's not always going to guarantee that you're going to get the vehicle back or it won't be damaged or picked apart while it's you know in somebody else's possession that doesn't care and didn't work to obtain that vehicle. So make sure that you're doing everything you can that's possible. Um, my actions, like I said, are going to be to put some uh, some kill switches in there if you have somebody do that, you are going to have to some. Or you're going to have to have somebody that knows what they're doing in order to do that. And this brings up another weird thought, Sarah. Um, 
Have you seen anybody with the Intoxilock devices or the the uh, alcohol monitoring system? I, I know what they are, but I've never actually seen one in person before. So we uh, we do install and service those out at our Republic location we have for many, many years. I know this is a little bit of a stretch and really probably not something you would want to do because it's very inconvenient and very expensive. But that's what those devices do is they impede somebody being able to start your car unless their BAC or their blood alcohol content level is below pretty much nil or, or shouldn't have any. If people use a certain mouthwash, it will trigger a blood alcohol content level and won't allow you to start the car. So if you happen to have one of those, I know uh, it's easy to look at all the negatives that go along with that stuff, but sometimes that's a silver lining, as well as, I'm sure you've seen it out there, the Millennial Theft Deterrent System. Do you know what I'm talking about, Sarah? Oh. That's a stick shift. Yeah. And I, so can you drive a stick shift? I'm putting you on the A little bit. So yes, if I'm in an emergency, Mm -hmm. I can grind the gears enough to get me to the hospital. Excellent. Well done. That is a skill. Thankfully, my very first vehicle that I ever learned to drive in was a manual transmission. I still have a few uh, older ones. I have fallen off the horse, honestly, and I haven't taught the young kids how to drive a manual transmission. I probably need to have them do that. Uh, I just went and picked up a 1984 GMC Brigadier, which is kind of like a small semi-truck. It is a manual transmission, so I think that is super cool. I enjoy driving a manual. The automatic transmissions have come so long, uh, so far with the technology and how well they tow, because that's the main reason that I foresee a manual being superior to an automatic, as well as they are a little bit more robust. You do have clutch failures or or a wear item after so long, but um, you know if you got a manual transmission out there, you might be doing okay. You know maybe uh, your vehicle won't get stolen, unfortunately. But Sarah and I are down at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back after the break. Through complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back, Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Tis a winter wonderland, tis the season. It's, uh, you know, we got a few more months with this, so let's make the best out of it. But Sarah, you got some uh, information over there? I do, so I want to play an ad for you. There is a new EV commercial out, uh, and it's... Features Kevin Bacon and his daughter. I do, too. Um, I really kind of hope that they remake a uh, Tremors movie in the future. I love those. You know, I... They were so good. I know. You know, they were very... I think they were pretty low budget. So, if if we were characters of Tremor, who would I be? (sighs) Probably Bert. Yes. Definitely Bert. (laughs) Definitely Bert. He's my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, those were such good movies. Oh, they were. Now they have like, I don't know, like six series of them. Oh, they do? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Like different characters. I guess they rebooted it, Mm -hmm. I assume. Yeah. No, it's pretty good. Uh, Yeah. Every every time there's a new installment, (laughs) Ryan and I always watch it. Oh, good. So anyways, um, there's this new Eevee commercial. I wanted to play the audio and get your take take on the the audio, at least the verbiage of the ad. Okay. I get it. You think they don't charge fast enough or go far enough. Up to 80% charge in 18 minutes. Range? Heck, we could go to Mexico. Are you Kevin Bacon? But EVs aren't going to stop being a thing. Look at the Ionic 6. So just make the leap already. Introducing the all-electric Hyundai Ionic 6 with up to 360-mile range. When it comes to EVs, we're thinking of every mile. So that is the ad there. Hmm. So the reason I play this audio is... 
I was just curious about two things. Okay. One, they are now touting that the updated percent charge is mm-hmm. now it only takes 18 full minutes to charge from start to finish. And the second thing that I wanted to point out is the verbiage that they have in this ad, which I don't know why, but it just kind of, I don't, I don't know. So it's EVs aren't going to start being a thing. Mm-hmm. So just make the leap already. Yeah. So we've talked about EVs in the past. I'm not a hater of EVs. No. You know, if that's something that you want, if that fits your lifestyle, mm-hmm. go for it. Uh, it's just something that definitely would not fit my lifestyle as a consumer. Oh, yeah. And so I just I just wanted to get your thought on that verbiage. So I'm kind of, I think, in the same boat. I don't, I think they're actually kind of cool, honestly, a full electric vehicle. But they're pushing this narrative so much and like cramming it down everybody's throat and not paying attention to reality or facts. And I don't know if you ever study like commodities at all or pay attention to that. I have this affinity love for silver. I think it's just such a if you've ever held silver coins like like pre-1965 silver, it just feels different, sounds different. I really love that. There, I promise there is a point of how I'm going to tie this to the EV market. But, it, you know, once you start getting into watching some of that, you look at gold, you look at platinum, palladium, and copper. Those are all key ingredients, and let's not forget lithium. Those are all key staple materials in order to make an EV vehicle. And the technology and the infrastructure, as well as those commodities or the surplus of those, is just not there. And so they're pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I get it. You know, maybe that is where we're going. And that's cool. I uh, I have very good electrical theory and information. I'm not scared to work on those. Um, not a big deal at all. With the exception is that the supplies are not available to do this in mass for our country or anybody else's country out there. So they're talking that the copper shortage by 2025, I think, is going to be epic. Like, it is going to be a big deal. I expect this probably to be one of those minerals or supply issues that all of a sudden go to the moon because there's such a demand. Um, Lithium is in a similar boat, honestly. So they talk about this just uh, it's going to be however they verbiaged it over there, Sarah. It's, uh, it's going to be a big deal. Just jump in already or whatever. There, it's not The industry is not ready for that, in my humble opinion and experience of what I see. We're having a hard enough time keeping normal vehicles on the road, let alone a brand new technology that has not been refined yet. So that's kind of my thought. I mean, lots of love for Kevin Bacon and, and the EV market out there. But mainstream, I don't want to be stuck or roped to a charging um, problem, let alone especially right now through the winter. I think you've had several stories where you've talked about them not charging because it was too cold. Yeah, and actually I found a story, and I don't think I shared it last week. Maybe I did, so sorry if I did. But actually the heat is also another factor. Oh, yes. There was a EV Hummer they were doing like some off-roading in the uh-huh. desert, and they got stranded in the desert. Oh, my. Yeah. It's just not something I'm ready to bet my my life on. And I don't want to be that extreme or that dramatic that it's a life or death situation. I don't mean that at all. The internal combustion engine has been refined to a very efficient and dependable 
And the utilitarian side of the internal combustion is really what I have to have in my life, essentially. I can't just be like, oh, I uh, I can't make it in because it's too cold. I can't charge my battery. There's a power outage. I can't charge my battery. I can pretty much put some gas or diesel in something and get where I need to go and not have a lot of headache doing it. In my opinion, the the EV lifestyle, if you will, at least at this point, I'm not saying this won't change, it's too much pain in the backside in order to to make it worth my while i don't know i i wouldn't turn one down for like local use but it would not be my primary vehicle without some kind of backup or alternative solution exactly yeah and you know we've talked about um hauling with, oh, yeah. with the trucks oh yeah and they can only get a certain amount of mileage and that's something that the husband and i do quite mm-hmm. frequently and i know that's something that you do oh, as yeah. well so it just it's it, it's not for everyone. So I know that they're they're pushing this narrative that they're not going to start being a thing that you need to just go ahead and take a leap. But I'm not willing to take a leap until they get things figured out yeah. a little bit better. Well, and, you know, it's funny. I don't know if you probably it was maybe when you were a kid or maybe a little bit earlier. There was this big pushback in the day for hydrogen vehicles. We we're going to everybody was going to run on hydrogen and it's such a clean energy and basically water is the output for hydrogen after internal combustion. And they're not wrong. I mean, hydrogen's pretty cool honestly. But it's not feasible. You know, the infrastructure is not out there at this point in time and so they pushed and did all this experimentation and development with hydrogen. And other than museums, I don't think I've ever seen a hydrogen vehicle. I've seen people make their own hydrogen generators and and cause a lot of problems on their vehicles. And I've dabbled in it honestly myself. I'm not necessarily an expert by no means, but I have seen and been able to generate hydrogen. But it's just one of those things that there was so much money and it was this fad and it was going to happen and everybody was going to have one and nobody has one now. It it faded away. It is went into obscurity, and really, and I don't get political very often. But if the political winds do change in the next couple of years, I expect to see some some volatility in the EV market or the electric vehicle market. It just really this is being politically crammed down everybody's throat, and you know. It may or may not be a thing in five or ten more years. I'm sure electric vehicles and it will continue to progress, but I don't see it being mainstream in my timeline for 10 to 15 years. That's really where my timeline is of where I think the technology will get robust enough. They'll figure out some different and better ways to do things. I mean, even if you look at the initial um, Tesla Roadster battery versus the Roadster battery, I'm sorry, the Tesla um, Model S, Model X, etc. They have figured out better ways to develop even their battery technology in the last, say, 10 years. So it is always going to be the only uh, constant is that it is always changing, I guess, is the best way to say it. So I believe that there will be electric vehicles and we'll be able to do stuff like the Jetsons at some point in time, but it's not going to be tomorrow. We have to take a quick break, but whenever we come back, I have a Tesla Model S story that I want to share with you. Excellent. We'll be right back after this. All right. Welcome back, Sarah Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. 
I feel like maybe we're hating on EVs a little bit, Sarah. You know, I'm not you think hating. We're haters? I'm not, but I think that people they need to be aware of what they're purchasing. They need to make smart consumer choices. And these stories they come out, and I just want to share them with you. It just reinforces, like, as I'm sitting here kind of listening to some of the stories and what we're talking about today, it reinforces that I better take good care of the vehicles that I own yeah. right now. Yeah. I absolutely better not let them go by the wayside and then be, I don't want to say forced, but I think that's probably a adequate word that, you know, I might at some point, if you cannot get a good used or pre-owned or new internal combustion engine vehicle... I'm going to be in a bad spot because I towing and hauling is a big part of my lifestyle at this point. So I cannot be pushed into a EV, um, even though I still think they're cool. Again, I don't want to just be hating on them, but don't force it on people. I guess it's the biggest deal. And I'm going to take care of my vehicles for as long as possible. Me too. Absolutely. Well, since it sounds like we were hating on them, I do ha- <laughs> I do have a Tesla Model S story. Okay. So a Tesla Model S spontaneously burst into mm-hmm. flames Saturday afternoon in California while driving on a freeway. Oof. The Tesla's battery compartment caught fire just before 4 p.m. in the eastbound lanes of Highway 50 near Sacramento. Mm -hmm. Fire officials said that the vehicle was traveling freeway speeds when the sudden combustion occurred and that nothing unusual happened prior to the fire. The Tesla was fully engulfed in flames when firefighters arrived at the scene. And uh, it looks like the firefighters used about 6,000 gallons of water to extinguish the flames as Dang. the Tesla's battery cells continued to combust. No injuries were reported. The crew, they also had to use jacks to lift up the vehicle so they could access its underside to extinguish and cool that battery. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know, the battery is actual uh, part of the structure. The whole floor pan under your feet is mostly battery on a lot of vehicles. And that there is a good reason for that. It keeps the center of gravity very low. Those cars would handle probably extremely well. I have never driven one. Uh, The gases from that fire, I guarantee, were very caustic. They were extremely dangerous gases with a lithium fire, along with all the other plastics and electrical that was going on there. I don't know if you've ever smelled an electrical fire, but it has its own aroma, and you almost can't, like, get it out of material once it's in there. So it's not a a good candle scent. Uh, No, it's a bad, bad one. It is really rough. Uh, But it's very um, noticeable, I guess. If you ever smell it, once you smell it once, you will not forget it. As well as those batteries, I mean, the combustibility of them, once that lithium really gets to rocking and rolling and going, 6,000 gallons of water, they don't have a good solution. There are some chemicals and foams and different things that will suck the oxygen away from the event. But as hot as those batteries get, they will continue to burn and combust internally until they're pretty much just burned up. The fact that they got it out at all, I'm very impressed with that fire department. And I'm sure this isn't the first nor the last time. I think last week we did our story that a it was in Europe, I think, but the ferry, there was a big ferry company that moves vehicles around. It sunk one of their ferries with a lot of high-end cars on it, and they are now uh, not hauling EV, hybrid, or hydrogen vehicles at all on that ferry because of the same reason. Um, you know, I could see if you lived in a very urban area, I guess, that 
you might. I don't know. Most people in that area don't even need a car anyway because they have taxi and Uber and Lyft and all that stuff. But I could see maybe that being a potential good solution to have an electric vehicle as a vehicle if you lived in a big city and weren't driving very far. But here in, I don't want to say rural America, but it is kind of rural America. It just doesn't necessarily make good sense to me, let alone if you need to travel or utilize the capabilities of that. That's a big thing to me. And I know I beat this in the ground. I want a very capable vehicle. I want something that typically has enough horsepower and torque to do what I need. I am big on four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. Most of our vehicles are. I need uh, occupancy occupancy room to where if I need four to six to eight to I think nine people in, in our biggest vehicle, we can ride comfortably. And, you know, that's just how we roll, essentially. That's That's what it's about. As well as, you know, I want to get as many miles out of that investment as possible. And I don't see that being as feasible with an all-electric vehicle as possible. So care for my fleet that we have at this point in time is what is on order in my household. I, you know, I'd be uh, very curious of what other folks out there, but at our point in our life, we both have personal vehicles, Stacy and I. I have a work vehicle, and then I have another tow vehicle that I do a lot of towing with. And then we try and keep a spare vehicle that we can rotate out whenever we have a car go down. So I've talked many times. We've got a lot of miles on our cars. We've got two young adult drivers, uh, third one pretty much any time. And then my son's going to be in the next couple of years. So I almost need a spare backup vehicle all the time. And I encourage you, if you've got something that's paid off and you're thinking about selling it for Fifteen hundred, two thousand bucks, five thousand bucks. It may be worth more to you to keep it, keep up on it, and keep it as a spare vehicle because I like redundancies. And in today's world, I believe that we all need some backups, whether it's backup power, backup food, backup water, filtration, or backup transportation and communication. I think is extremely important. And it doesn't have to be like a world-ending event that causes you to need it. It could be weather-related. It could be just bad roll-of-the-dice-related. Um, I it, It's always nice to sell a vehicle and, and reap some of your money back out of it. But I like having a spare backup vehicle. It gives me good peace of mind. We're working on our spare backup vehicle. Which is very exciting. Yes, finally, after a year and a half of it, yeah. sitting in the field. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, so we're really excited. We're going to get the Danger Ranger working again. Which is a great backup vehicle. I know. Vehicle. So it's... it's Like such a good backup yep, vehicle. Yep, it's a 96, so it's it shares the same birthday as me and the husband. And we're really excited to work on it. We've got some parts ordered for awesome. it. Awesome. We've got some standing by. So we went ahead and we drained the, the fluids mm-hmm. out of it. So, you know, because it's going to take us uh, probably a little bit. To, well, then the weather's yeah. crappy. That's going to, you know, the spring would be a good time to really dive into that. And the good thing is we now have it safely in a uh, in our garage. So Excellent. we can work on that. It won't get affected by mm-hmm. the elements. Yep. So Make sure the tires are staying in good shape. Yes, the tires. <laughs> The tires are in great shape. You know, you're laughing over there, but uh, it's a whole backstory. But the the Danger Ranger has brand new tires on it. Mm -hmm. So we're excited that those are not going to rot. Absolutely. And they are going to be well taken care of. And that is a real thing. Uh, Sitting out in the field in sunlight, it definitely degrades the tires Mm -hmm. over time. So keeping them inside, keeping them in, uh, you know, good shape, rolling them every once in a while so they don't flat spot. But 
it would make such a big difference for you guys if you had that backup little runaround yes. utility truck, which a ranger is extremely capable. That poor thing. Bless her heart. She's been through it. <laughs> We've hauled uh, hay in it. We've hauled firewood in How it. How much firewood? If you had to just guess. I mean, hundreds of loads, probably, because you guys were cutting firewood. No exaggeration, like, probably hundreds of loads. Like mad folks. I can remember yeah. the last couple of years. I think it was crummy weather, kind of wintry, and you guys were out busting it, yep. doing the firewood thing. I know. Which I, I love wood heat. Uh, me too. Oh, yes. my favorite heat. Hey, real quick, I do have one more story. It's a okay. recall alert. Uh-oh. So my friends out there who drive Fords, listen up. So Ford is recalling 462,000 vehicles Oof. worldwide because of an issue with video output that prevents the rear view camera image from displaying. Mm. The automaker said the recall covers some 2020 to 2023 model year Explorer, Lincoln, Aviator and 2022 to 2022 or 2020 to 2022 Lincoln Corsair. Is that how you say that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, vehicles that have the 360 degree cameras. The total number of vehicles being recalled include 382,000 within the United States. Now, Ford says that it has reports of 17 minor crashes oh, wow. allegedly resulting from blue screen symptoms, as well as more than 2,100 warranty reports. There have been no reports of injuries so far. Now, this recall, it expands upon a 2021 recall of over 200,000 vehicles. Owners will be notified by letters starting February 20th or right here on our show. How about that? Mm -hmm. So if you have one of those vehicles and you are experiencing those blue screen symptoms, highly recommend making sure that your vehicle falls into that recall yeah. alert and getting that fixed. Definitely. As expensive as these vehicles are, you had better make sure that they're you're getting what you pay for, for lack of a better way to put it. I know I have an airbag recall on one of my trucks, but the parts have not been available mm. for months. I need to call them, and I'm glad you brought that up. I'm going to be getting on them to get that recall done. Because I need that airbag system to function like it's supposed to. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's just always make sure to check that National Highway Traffic, Traffic. Safety Administration. Yep. Yep. Look at us. We got, got it. it. Yeah. yeah. Just check that every once in a while. You know, they, they do say that they send out recall mm -hmm. alerts. Sometimes it's months later whenever well, they send them. I have gotten recall alerts for vehicles I didn't even own anymore. Like yeah. I had traded them in. I had a... Honda years and years ago when the very first airbag recall, and I had gotten rid of that vehicle like a year prior, and all of a sudden I get an airbag recall that like I'm the owner. So I don't know if somebody else didn't title it or what happened to the thing, but they sent it to the wrong person. So you're right. You can get online. You can put your VIN in and find out whether you're the person or not. Well, believe it or not, we're out of show. All right. So if you're out there in Radio Land, you have a question or a comment, you can text us on our text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743, or you can reach out to us on our social media at 1041KSGF. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Yes, you all be safe. Bye.